This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and so glad to have a place to talk about faith and politics and big ideas in our culture with all kinds of interesting people of goodwill in good faith. And it is an honor to announce that our program is now part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. And please remember to to subscribe if you haven't already. Tell a friend, give us a good rating and leave your review. Seriously, if you haven't like written a review, that would really, really help us. Hopefully it's a good one with five stars. And the easiest way to find us is our main site, which is www.politicsandreligion.us. That's getting a big, we're refurbishing it and rebuilding it. And pretty soon it's going to look even better than it does now. But that's politicsandreligion.us. Or feel free to connect with me on all the social media apps, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Post News. I am at Corey S. Nathan. That's at C-O-R-E-Y-S as in Sam, N-A-T-H-A-N, at Corey S. Nathan. All of that helps get the word out. So more people can participate in the conversation like the one we're having today with Pete Dominic. And I got to say, before I introduce Pete, well, I'm introducing him now, but um, this is a very different conversation that we have today. The name of our podcast, as you know, is Talk of Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Now, Pete has come on the show before, and I consider Pete a pal. I consider him a friend. Uh, I've been listening to his show for years since he came on the show. I came on his show and um, I, I've participated in uh, his community that he's built for his his show, uh, Stand Up with Pete Dominic, which I'd highly commend. Uh, it's a really well done show, really thoughtful, incredible guests. Pete is, does a great job. He's a longtime stand up comedian. As we'll talk about, he's had shows on POTUS uh, and CNN, national broadcast. You'll learn a lot, lot more about him today. The reason that it's a different show is that Pete and I got into a tete-a-tete. We got into an argument right around election day. We'll talk more about it the second half of this conversation. And clearly, we still have a lot of disagreement. What you'll hear is we still have a lot of disagreements. Um, So today's different for a few reasons. I thought it's time for us to really start having these difficult conversations across our differences and see if we can do it better, see if we could do it (laughs) without killing each other. Uh, And, you know, frankly... At moments, the conversation gets heated. I think some folks who are listening might think that I'm being an asshole. <laughs> some folks might think that Pete's being an asshole at times. And we're not doing this thing perfectly because we're not. It's it's imperfect and it's messy and we both get passionate, uh, but we're having the conversation. We're staying in the conversation. The fact that we circled back around after getting into a an argument online uh, and then circling back and saying, hey, let's talk about it. And what you'll hear at the end is we say, hey, let's talk about it some more. We clearly disagree on some things, but that's kind of the point. How do we do this better? How do we have disagreements, learn from each other, figure out how to disagree in a healthier way, figure out how to hear each other and understand each other a little bit better. So I really, really appreciate, despite how passionate and heated we get toward the end, I really, really appreciate Pete coming on. He's a really, I respect him. I I genuinely respect him. I hope he respects me. I I don't know if he does. Um, I don't know if he particularly likes me, but that's that's neither here nor there. 
bottom line is we committed to this hour and a half or so long conversation. And that's the point is that, you know, hopefully we're making each other better, making each other sharper. We're pointing out each other's differences in a healthy way. And um, I'm, I'm just grateful that Pete uh, gave us the time, gave me the time. It was really generous on his part. He he spent a half hour plus longer than he originally planned on. So he's really, really gener generous with his time. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, this is a different conversation. It's normally very interview style. The first 45 minutes or so is is yeah, sounds a little bit more traditional. Um, but I it came together very last minute. So I don't I didn't have the time to prepare the way I normally like to. Uh, so it's a much more free-flowing conversation. So hopefully it'll be cool. But I'd love to hear from you, uh, from folks who are listening, and I'd love to hear what you think. Do you want to hear more conversations like this? Do you want to hear more uh, times when I find folks that I know I disagree with on certain issues or had a run-in with and have them on the program and have these conversations out loud? Because I've talked about having these conversations a lot, but I've never had them on the program to share with you. So it's a favor to me. It's a favor to the show as a whole. It's a favor to others who are listening. If you would reach out to me, um, reach out to Pete too. Pete's really easy to find. It's at Pete Dominic, P-E-T-E-D-O-M-I-N-I-C-K, at Pete Dominic on Twitter. His uh, podcast or his uh, site, you can find his podcast on all the apps. It's PeteDominic.com. So he's super easy to find. I'll put that all in the show notes. So yeah, please reach out to me. Let me let me know what you think. And um, please, enjoy, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. It'll have me thinking for months and months and weeks and weeks and days and days. Uh, so thanks. Here's my conversation with Pete Dominic. Pete Dominic, so cool to have you back. How you doing, man? Corey, I just, I really, I missed your, your weird hair, your <laughs> weird long gray ponytail. Oh, there, now it's out. Now you're literally old Jesus. Yeah. It's just, you have really done the full conversion. Wow. It really is beautiful though. It's, wow. It's, this is crazy folks. Luxurious, <laughs> long white locks. I wonder what it feels like. I'd love to run my fingers through that. Well, if I come see my parents, they're, they're leaving to come back to your neck of the woods. I'll have to hit you up. You don't even need to get a plane anymore with your wizard hair. You, I would imagine you can just teleport. I can absolutely. That, you yes. have to leave your hair out and get a full robe and a staff. Walk down any street in America and make sure someone's filming it just like far away enough that, you know, innocent bystanders don't know that we're filming this. Please, I will pay for the whole production. Oh, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know what else is a lot of fun? Getting in a public fight with you on Twitter. Let's do it. Well, we already did. No. So one of the reasons that we're doing this, just so folks know, I do want to just because we have a bunch of new listeners. So I want to make sure everybody's up to speed on who you are, what you're all about, why you're such an asshole. No, I'm just kidding. I love you. You know, I love you and I respect you even when we get in a fight. So we're doing this be, because I can be a huge asshole. Let's be clear. Yes. But you're really good at it. And you're you're an asshole with a sense of humor but I'm a sensitive guy, so I wasn't getting the joke at the time. Well, I mean, a lot could probably be lost over social media, much less a, a text. You know, how many times have you sent someone a text and, and they take it the wrong way? Yeah, totally, totally. So I wanted to share a little bit about your background. So you, did you get into stand-up comedy right out of high school? Or did you go to undergrad? I did. Like, Yeah. 
I did stand-up comedy in high school, two talent shows. Then I did stand-up comedy again at talent shows and open mics at my weird two-year agriculture college outside of Albany, New York. Then after two years of college, I trend, I moved to New York City, which was always the goal right out of high school. College was just an interruption on my way to being a comedic stand-up comedy star. And after two years of college, I went right to New York City. I then studied acting school at a conservatory theater program. And that's where I started doing stand-up in New York City and realized I was not nearly as funny as all of the people. You know, Small Pond. Big fish. I was yeah. the funniest person, class clown and in high school, then in college. I mean, a lot of funny people that were funnier than me, I should say, but they didn't want to pursue a career in it. And then when I got to New York, I was like, oh man, I'm terrible. How, so as a kid, were you watching the Carlin specials and the- Yes. Okay. And that, so that's what kind of ima- opened your imagination. I listened to, my dad had hidden Carlin audio cassettes. My brother told me about, we listened to them together. And then my dad actually took me to the Syracuse Civic Center when I was 16 to see Carlin live. And it was an amazing experience. And a lot of people about three quarters of the way and walked out when he started talking about abortion. Oh, wow. And my dad, my dad didn't care about anything other than that you would pay for a ticket and leave early. He doesn't even like that when like you do that at a football game, a Syracuse University football game. We had season tickets. We'd always go way up in the nosebleeds. And my dad would be like, where are you going? What are you talking about? 72 to zero. There's two minutes left. Game's not over. <laughs> um, my parents are just the opposite. You know, if it's like, if they're going to miss the senior special at their diner, you know, they don't care if it's, it could be the world series game. And if it's in the fifth inning, but it's running long and they're going to be late to, you know, senior special at the, the, the Big Bear Diner or whatever the hell is up by you. Is that a thing they like? Is that a thing they really do seriously enjoy is go to the diner and, and get a meal there? Do they really like doing that? Well, the thing is, when Phyllis is done, Phyllis is just fucking done. So right? she doesn't care about anybody else in the, you know, that we're there enjoying the game. That's what, no, Phyllis is done. She's hungry. She wants to go and we're going to go. That's it. I married Phyllis. <laughs> Phyllis was my dad also. Oh, that's awesome. We tend to be attracted to, without realizing it there's something real to that that we're attracted to like the opposite but maybe more portrayed portrayed in one of our parents those same uh some of those same qualities so i don't know i hate to say that i married my father but i think in some ways i did lisa has a lot of those qualities i realized that my wife is very controlling and i think i'm very controlling but i don't know and i've learned that I'm not as good at controlling anything that it doesn't get done or it doesn't get done well compared to my wife and other people that I know. I was recently with a friend of mine from high school, spent the weekend with us at his house. And I was really relaxed at the idea that I was, had no control over what we were doing. It was his house. I was visiting. We went for a hike. We, we made dinner and, and we baked a pie, which is a hilarious thing to do with he and his wife and his kids. We went skiing together, but I was just the passenger and it was very, very relaxing. And so now I'm a little confused as to, am I a controlling person or do I just want somebody to tell me kind of what to do? And I'll, I'll do it hopefully decently. Maybe I won't might leave. Bye. (laughs) Did you, did you, uh, did you ever get to meet Carlin in person? No, but I'm very good friends with his daughter, Kelly. So I feel I feel great about that. She's a wonderful person in my life and has been a good mentor. And so I feel, you know, like I got the better Carlin. She, she's, 
he'd probably say he's better than she's better than him. So she's a wonderful, like just human, awesome, awesome person. And and doing stand up, where where have you always been politically engaged? Social issues has that always been a part of your your work? Yeah, always because my brother was kind of a radical. Uh, even at a very young age, like 12, 13 years old, he was just a kind of a counterculture person, I guess is the best way of saying it. And then, you know, an alternative person, a druggie, a burnout, a skater. Uh, and he was really interested in power dynamics and social dynamics and culture and history. He was yeah. also really interested in kind of an early, before it was really called anti-racism he was very much interested in like abolitionists and that movement. He was interested even he would read feminist literature when he was like 13 or 15. And so I never would have picked up any of those ideas because that wasn't something my parents were really doing or talking about or reading about. My brother kind of raised me in terms of my own sense of my own moral compass, my own idea of right from wrong. Yeah. Now, so comedy was was a vocational drive, um, and it seems that you got increasingly uh, socially and politically engaged, especially your work, uh, the POTUS channel uh, yeah, shows yeah. that you did, uh, the, the, the POTUS shows that you did, and then CNN, um, you, you even had a, your own show on CNN. But was that... Is, is that like a raison d'etre for you? Is that what what is it that you're trying to accomplish in the world? Like before you're done here, what is it that you're trying to do? Do you have a clear well, vision of that or? I was going to give you one answer before you you said before you're done, because I've said this recently and I want to. Always be on record as saying this, I'm 47 and I am done. I've done everything I wanted to do. All of it. All of it. I lived my most wild dreams. I made a living as a stand-up comedian. All I ever wanted to do was host my own show. I used to write in my journal as a young man. I wrote in a journal because that's the kind of guy I was and deal with it. I would often open the Wait, journal. Can you Good see, evening. can you see down there that shelf? Right down. Journals? Yeah. I have a whole, a yeah. binder full of, of journals. No, a whole shelf full of journals. Now. That's so, awesome. Every, every day you should try to do it for 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. I still try. It's still part of my daily agenda. And I would open those entries. Good evening or good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, because I, I wanted to host a show. A lot of comedians wanted a sitcom. A lot of comedians just wanted a body of work. I used to be real good friends with, with Bill Burr, who is now one of the most famous respected comedians in the world. And I used to have deep, long conversations about him sober, totally sober, never did drugs or drank with him. Uh, and we were just real close. And he, I remember him telling me, cause I think it was the first time I ever heard this phrase. He's like, I just want to have a body of work, man. Mm. Like a bunch of albums, like Carlin and Pryor. I just want a bunch of albums. And he's far exceeded that. Cause he's also now like a pretty well-known actor, but I wanted to host a show. I wanted to be Jay Leno, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, and then I found and discovered radio and then I wanted to be Howard Stern, but not Howard Stern. Like I wanted to do elements of what he was doing, being honest and transparent about my life while really pursuing my curiosity, my passion and doing what I always have described as a show that's in the public's interest, like an NPR like show, but with a personality behind it. Yeah. NPR content and guests, but with a personality behind it. And then I would bend my, scholarly guests to my will to my style. 
<laughs> to my studio. You come in my studio. We still talk about your expertise, but you're a human in here and, and real moments happen. And I'm going to ask you about things and we'll have a real conversation. And so I succeeded in hosting that show. I also hosted my own TV show. I also was famous. Some people still think I'm famous. And it's like all of the, I, I tasted every element of my dream. And then other things happened that I never even imagined, which was certainly becoming a father was also always part of my deal. And mom, now my, my dreams and my daughter's now 15 and 18. And like, if tragically I fell off my roof while cleaning my gutters later today and I died, yeah, like I would have been here for like the formative years of, of their lives. It'd be terrible. Julia's a freshman. We don't want to imagine that. But the point is like, I've made my mark. I've lived my dreams. I've made a huge impact on other people's lives in a positive way. I've connected so many people. I am so super proud of what I've accomplished. And I, I'm satisfied. I'm done. Like I did it. It's right. good. That's how I feel. And rarely do people get to say that at the end of their lives, much less in the middle of their life. I hope this is like, you know, a midlife crisis yeah. time for me. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm asking is you're 47. You're, you're a healthy guy. You pay a lot of attention to your health. And and that's what I'm saying is let's say you, you are at the halfway point, which is, you know, realistic or, you know, maybe not quite at the halfway point or maybe two thirds of it, but there's still more time unless, you know, uh, God forbid, or sovereignty forbid, or whatever it is that you believe, um, something something happens unexpected. But let's say you have another. He says, so "I get you don't have to correct." God forbid, that works for me. Okay. Like, if someone actually said sovereignty. <laughs> forgive, I would, I would, I would backhand them in the face. Okay, if I was with, so you owe me a backhand in the face when I see you in in upstate New York. So you have, let's say, another forty years for simplicity's sake. What's the next forty years look like? What What is it where forty years from now? You know, your loved ones are around your deathbed and you're still cognizant and you think to yourself, well done, well done. What would, what is that? What, what is that over the next? I've got a lot years? of different fantasies. I've got a lot of different ideas. I've got three more years of high school for my younger one. My older one's going off to college next year. And, and when Julia, my younger daughter goes off to college, I'm out to pursue whatever these are. Mm -hmm. And one idea is to, buy an electric, you know, van type of thing and, and travel across the country to all the people who've been listening to my shows over the years and visit them and meet them oh, and man. families and go fishing with them or do whatever they do. Like, just as I described earlier with my friend, like, I'm just there to do whatever you guys do, eat whatever you guys cook. Uh, I will entertain you. I will be a great guest. I will be a fun person to connect with. We will, we will have thoughtful conversations. There will probably be some light massage. <laughs> would you film that? Because it sounds like it's something where it's very personal. Yeah, no, I think it would be an idea where I would I would capture all of it. Like a, like my friend comedian Tom Green kind of just travel around and taped everything, yeah. threw it all up with a light edit. Yeah, I would do something like that. Or you know, I'm also really interested in. I'm still interested in one passion. I never really pursued. I mean, I did because I did a lot of coaching, but working with young people, I'm. I don't know. If, don't know if I'll still be good with young people as I get older, but I've always been good with young people and specifically young black uh, kids. I've always been around black people and young black kids. And I think it's good to go into those communities as a, a white person and do good work. And yeah. so there's a, a place called Harlem grown, excuse me. Harlem grown is an urban garden, like gardens and cities. And 
in Harlem, it's a lot of young black kids, almost entirely young black kids. And I know the guy who created the thing. He's a former listener, and he, and he says something I talked about helped spark the idea to create this. And he's been wildly successful. And I kind of want to go back and and volunteer there because I love gardening and I love kids. And frankly, like I like to be around black culture and black people a lot. I'm very comfortable there. And especially with the kids, my mom taught a lot of black kids when I was very young. And so I would spend a lot of time with them. And I think that's an important thing for me to do. And I also want to learn more about gardening because that's another big passion of mine. So who knows, I might just end up at the bottom of a mountain, you know, living in my van and skiing every day. Cause that's one of the biggest most important passions in my life is being outdoors no matter what. I love gardening, but like downhill skiing is is kind of the thing that I grew up doing with my dad and still do with my dad. One of the things I've been really impressed by is uh, I've come to, uh, as you remember, a, a bunch of your Thursday night get togethers. And that's where you really see something unique about what you're doing. You're not just, you know, turning on the mic and doing a couple hours each day or hour or whatever each day. It, it is a real sense of community, like getting on there. At first it was, you know, just a, a few dozen, you know, now it sounds like now it's it's grown to a few more who are participating in those things. Such interesting characters, such interesting stories, such an informed, intelligent sense of uh, priorities and ethics from every person who gets to participate in those get togethers. But overall, it's just a real sense of community. Did you did you envision that? Did you kind uh-huh. of engineer that? Or was that something that you're like, wow, this is cool? No, I I definitely didn't. And if I had, I would have like launched that while I was still on the Series XM platform. Like, why wouldn't I have done that then? Yeah. And it was partly a product of the pandemic. We were all locked up and people were scared. Oh, I'm good with people and I'm good at bringing people together and I'm good in front of an audience. And it was kind of a natural fit for a guy like me to be like, come on over, I'll host a thing. Yeah. And so it, it, it really you know, was born there and has continued every Thursday night. And I never expected it, but it really is the most wonderful thing I've ever been involved with, much less responsible for. And I, yeah, we had 73 people there last week and it was, it's, it's great. There's a lot of laughs. There's a lot of poignant moments and there's a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds getting to know each other and hear from each other. And, you know, like you, many of them have been on the show. So it's, it's really uh, a cool, amazing, unplanned, beautiful gathering that we have. And it's become family-like to a certain extent. Now, you you started your podcast. You, you have experience in radio, in broadcast. Uh, but did you know anything about podcasting before you started Stand Up With Pete? Oh, not really, no. How, no. So, how, I mean, how did that go? Did you just start con- asking around and saying, how do I do this? I, this is something I think I want to do, but I don't know about it. How did you get it started? Well, I have, I'm not particularly highly intelligent, uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm scrappy, I'm gritty. And so I've always succeeded at surrounding myself with smart people mm-hmm. or when I was younger, big people. Like I've not had a lot of trouble in my life because I've, I've known the right people. I know how to get people to like me. And so I just started asking everybody, I knew people who were experts in audio and podcasting. And I reached out to them immediately and they, you know, in in some cases, some of them actually reached out to me before almost as a way of, Hey, can I help? I am really disappointed and that the show ended and I'd like to get you, you know, get you the natural fit obviously as a podcast. And so 
I spent seven days a week, you know, 10, 12 hours a day for months learning just, a, 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 you know, getting a master's degree in audio and in podcasting. And I still, you know, obviously it's so dynamic. It's so fluid. You got to try to keep up with everything. I think you know a lot more about it than, than I do. We should talk about podcasting, but yeah, so I've, I've just surrounded myself by smart people and tried to learn from them and then implement those things. And I've usually been able to find success by that. I've always told my kids and everybody that like, just if you want to be good at something, you want to learn about something, find someone who's good at it. You want to learn how to do flooring, go to a guy who's a flooring guy. I'm like, can I, can I shadow you for a week? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Just showing up. I had this conversation with my oldest kid uh, yesterday. 80% of success is just showing up, you know, and give yourself permission to, to fail, you know, because you, you don't come out of the womb of virtuoso of anything. Uh, but if you show up, you'll learn and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll gain knowledge, you'll try, and then you'll strike out and then you'll try again and you'll strike out some more. And over time you'll realize, oh, wow, I can, I can edit. Like I never, I know a lot of editors, but w once I started actually editing my podcast, I'm like, oh, okay, I could do this thing. I'm not the best in the world at it, but I can do it well enough for a bunch of people to enjoy, enjoy the podcast and learning sound and what's, you know, what sounds good, what does I mean, I will say, I mean, I miss being the the elitist talent <laughs> walking in and everybody kissing your ass and having the engineer that, and I never really obviously i never you know i don't believe in you know i, I think i everybody was we all treated each other pretty pretty well in, in my case rough like i engendered like a ball busting atmosphere like a comedy club you yeah. know atmosphere so i was always working with people who were funnier than me and they were just constantly busting my balls but no I, the idea that there were people that did those jobs technical jobs pu push the buttons answer the phones like you know i loved having that a yeah. team is wonderful although now i can't imagine working with anybody i have a hard time you know uh, delegating to my intern i have an intern this semester and it's like she's like what do you want me to do i was like i don't know i'll just do it because yeah. I can't, it's not her. It's not that she's not really great. It's like I have a hard time now that I'm in control of a, a production. You know, when, when you're it's like when you're the executive producer and the host and the researcher and the editor and you do all the posting, which people don't know how laborious that bullshit. Oh, my is. God. The show notes alone takes yeah. me takes me an hour just yeah. to, you know. Yeah, if it's, I it's, have it's, anything, it's those damn show notes. I really should have someone come in and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because they have to be like worded in such a way that the algorithms will pick them up. And yeah, I've never, I don't know anything about any of that. So I, I don't do any of that. I need to know that I just ignore good knowledge like that. That would be helpful. Well, the one thing that you do really well is when you have guests on there, uh, it's really helpful for me when I listen to you to uh, different episodes. There's so frequently there are guests on there that I'm curious about. So it's really easy for me to go into the show notes and you have the links and stuff like that. So well, actually, that's the, the least I better have that. I mean, for, for God's sake, you know, if you don't put the, if you don't put, I always, it's irritating when it rarely do I, do I think it happens, but if imagine having someone on your show and then not linking to their work, it's like a major transgression. Yeah. You're not paying them to come on your show. You know, if anything, you're giving them creating awareness. You're helping them sell their themselves, their brand, whatever. So like you better, you better link to and talk about their product because that's the whole deal. You got to, wax on wax off yeah exactly hey speaking of your show so uh the one that came out this morning we're recording now on wednesday so this will drop on on monday night 
um, you and I are very much on the same page of yesterday's events because a lot of attention was, you know, on the equivalent of the white Bronco of Trump arriving in New York and the, you know, the indictment. And I, my favorite part of that, before I get onto the consequential, what I thought was mo more consequential of yesterday's events, my favorite part was the, uh, the, the um, officer who opened the door and you see Trump yeah, walk in. <laughs> the guy just let it shut in his you face. Think, yeah, I, I saw everybody talking about that. And do you think that Trump noticed that? And I, do you think that guy did that on purpose? I don't think he did it on purpose. But the fact that he didn't even notice that the you know disgraced ex-president was walking behind him yeah, enough to like weird. hold the door for him, that, that gave me a, a special tickle. <laughs> but do you think Trump noticed that that door came flying in his face? Because he's, he, he probably really is very used to people holding doors for him. That's... He's created, you know, his his magic kingdom in Mar-a-Lago and then the White House. It, it's amazing to think about how much this guy's been catered to his almost entire life. He has no idea what it's like to have a normal human experience. I mean, even super wealthy, wealthy people don't live, don't have people opening doors for them. Most people don't love that. They want to act human. But he, of course. Anyway, sorry. No, no, no. So when I saw that, because I saw that, too, and Sandy Meisner's voice just kicked into gear in my head. Um, hey, hey, motherfucker, did you did you not see that he slammed the door in your face? Like Sandy would totally pick up on Stella would pick up. I, did you go to Stella's Stella Adler? Where did you go to? Uh, no, no, no. I went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Oh, that was a good. No, that's a good conservatory. Um, but but one of those great teachers, they would totally pick up on that. They would see like Sandy would be like, you're so in your head. You didn't see that this person closed the door. You're the you're the former president, you know, so that that was something where I I saw. Sandy's voice was in my head and I saw him like so in his head, he wasn't even aware enough to be offended. I want to be in your head where you think of what an acting teacher. <laughs> Sometimes I have all kinds of voices in my head, man. It's not just acting teachers. You know, who it's else, who else lives in there, Corey? Oh, well, Phyllis lives in there all day. She's like <laughs> rent free. Why don't you just do a podcast <laughs> called Phyllis? And it's just everything your mom ever did and said and how it constantly animates you to this day. Oh my God. That's why I drink as heavily as I do. Are you kidding? And they're coming over tonight. They're coming over for the Seder. It's going to be wonderful. I better start drinking now. Um, so the thing that I picked up on that you said, I literally this morning, I said the consequent, what was consequential about yesterday was what happened in Wisconsin. Um, and, and that's the same word that you used on this morning's show. I, so we're very much on the same page there, but so why do you think what happened in Wisconsin was more con consequential? Well, I think that the argument about democracy's existence in our country is paramount for almost every conversation that we have about the current state of our country and the future of our country. And democracy, you know, there's actual ways to measure how much democracy a community, a state or a country has. And we can talk all about that, but you can certainly look at different states and just start with the access to voting and restrictions to voting. And if you vote, will the legislature confirm the will of the people? Yeah. And so what was at stake were all kinds of progressive ideas and values but what was primarily at stake in Wisconsin and the future of the Supreme Court was the democracy of that state. Because if you had a conservative Supreme Court, the concern, the realistic concern was that they would overturn the will of the people's vote, that the legislature 
would be able to not confirm the outcome of the election. We don't like it. We're not yeah. confirming it. And then it would be appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court would be like, no, we don't want it. Let the Republican king, you know, have his way. And they would confirm that. And that's that, a really bad Wisconsin accent, by the way. I <laughs> know. Uh, the. I don't know if you heard the conservative justice there. He is an old, old Englishman. He's a like, patrician. <laughs> <laughs> not. I'm just improving. But so, yeah, that the, the concern there was in Wisconsin because of that Supreme Court was the the future of the outcome of the elections. And of course, how people get elected too, in terms of the state's gerrymandered or not and, and who has control in, in the state house is something that we are paying closer attention to than we ever have in states across the country as we look at issues around women's reproductive rights, gun rights, whatever people care about. They know that change happens at the state level. And so everybody's getting a lot more active on all sides. I think it's pretty clear to say, and that's what's at stake. That was what was at stake in Wisconsin was the future of that state's yeah. democracy. Yeah. So just a little bit of pushback. Um, I will say that of the 60, I think it was 62 cases that Trump's campaign brought after the election 2020 up until January 6th, several of which were in Wisconsin. One of those conservative justices was uh, came from the conservative legal movement, and he was the one who sided with the, Demo uh, the, the ones that were appointed by Democrats in that state to uphold election integrity, basically, the, the integrity of what the people of Wisconsin voted for. However, the person who was the conservative who was in this election, it, he was he was Trumpist all the way. He was MAGA all the way, and he made no bones about it. So I thought it was consequential that the the person who was backed by um, and I forgot I don't know how to pronounce her name, but um, that the one who got elected, Janet Protasewicz. Oh, that's impressive, Protasewicz. I looked up a pronunciation and like said it like ten times before I hit record on my show. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think it is consequential, you know, and I don't think the there will be cases brought about how the uh, the congressional districts there. I don't think they'll be brought in time for the 2024 election, but th that's a purple state if there ever was one. And the fact that they don't have re proper representation of who the electorate is, I think that's immensely consequential. And at some point, some cases will be brought before that state, state Supreme Court about the districts there. And I think that it will it will be corrected over time. That's obviously abortion. There are going to be abortion cases. So women's right to choose is going to be very consequential. But for the for the democ our democracy and the country as a whole, I think it has huge implications, um, arguably even more so than you know, Donald Trump getting endorsed. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying about the record, the past record and how they upheld the, the, the vote and didn't overturn it. But it, that brings me no comfort. I know because you have other states, North Carolina right now. Well, no, um, because that statement, as you said, that candidate was a, a, is a way nut job. And, and, and the idea that others would be in any way on the edge, like you can't have a, a Supreme Court at the state level, or as we now have at the federal level, our yeah. Supreme Court, that has that kind of makeup because it's not conservative. It's they're anti-democratic. I mean, yeah. like I, you can we can talk about fascism, but they're definitely if they're not con voting to confirm the election outcome where there was no shenanigans, where there were no issues, then they're that that's authoritarian rule that's you, uh, you know and you can't risk having those justices i think uh, not to mention as you mentioned you know the the districts and and the way they're they're drawn which yeah 
I'm really concerned about the precedent that might be set. Uh, North Carolina is rehearing a case about independent legislative theory um, or independent legislature theory, I should say. Uh, I'm really concerned about that because that the balance of power is what is part of the fundamental, the foundation of what makes our country work. Um, so they're basically saying, I, I know it's it's kind of they're they're saying it's a very narrow thing where the legislature um, it can uh, basically ignore the judicial uh, branch, but um, it, it has pretty serious implications. And I I don't know I don't know if you're as concerned about that as I am. But well, I, I mean, was, I'm more more urgently in in North Carolina. I'm concerned with the Democrat who just converted converted to parties to a Republican, thus throwing the majority uh, there. And now you could very now very likely now have North Carolina outlaw abortion the way almost every other state has thus leading to not they're not being a corridor for women to get an abortion if they want or all kinds of other important health care yes. you know trans kids getting help you know like the, the whole southeast now could be a block of states that you know women are living on their way to gilead and so i mean it's deeply concerning what's going on in north carolina for that reason as well but yeah i mean the independent state legislature theory is again it's a threat to democracy it's crazy time yeah it's crazy time it's just no one wants that except for those who will seek power and take power no matter what like it's like winning the game, even though you had more players than the other team, you were watching all of their plays, you were cheating the whole time, you threw sand in their eyes, and then you won. Well, you didn't, though. Yeah. You, you stole it. And that's what we see here. We've seen this around the world. Yeah. This is something that can easily happen, unfortunately, which is why you have to uh, keep watering the tree of democracy all the time. You could see even now faster with social media and our digital age and the rise of white supremacy and this white Christian nationalism, it's terrifying what they believe in. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, we want a Christian country. It sounds like Afghanistan or Iran or other theocracies. It's terrifying and really dangerous that you could have those people in charge. And yeah. in many places you do. Yeah, yeah. And a, an actual real conservative push back against that sentiment is, well, be careful what you wish for, because if somebody else from the supposed other side gets in charge, then they'll start imposing um, everything in an autocratic way on you. So I did want to ask you about some personal stuff. Well, there's only one side, though, to demo like there's no other side to that. We're talking about democracy. That's not partisan or no. another side, like, like conservative, liberal, Republican, yeah, Democrat, like we have elections. And when then when the election's over, you want to investigate it. You want to file. Sure, fine. You want to file a lawsuit. Yeah, we have all these different pathways to investigate. And to, and at the end of the day, if you didn't win, then you concede. That's it. That's that, it. That's it. That's there is no other country side. Has yeah. had peaceful handover of power miraculously, you know, for a very long time until Donald, Donald Trump. Donald and the Republican yeah. Party now is the party that is of anti-democracy. So it's not conservative. Yeah. It's not liberal. It's not small government or big government. It's against democracy, against yeah. democratic rule, pro-Christian nation. That's not that's that's what we're up against. 
Right. Right. Yeah. So many, quote, Republicans are conservatives that don't dis uh, use those labels anymore because they don't want to be lumped in with fascist, authoritarian, white Christian nationalists. Yeah. And it pisses me off, man, because there are some really great philosophies, some really great words that have now been hijacked by social political terrorists. You know, I mean, listen, uh, I don't I don't mean to be too hyperbolic about it, but I that's how I see it uh, sometimes. But uh, we could talk about that. Plenty, but I did want to ask you, are you still, are you writing a book? Did I hear that right? You're writing a book about raising girls? I, I, I've been threatening to. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you it this way. What did you get? You have two teenage girls. What did you get right? What did you get wrong? Uh, what would you, if you could do it over again, what are some of the things that you do over again, do differently? Um, I think we got wrong. My wife and I got wrong fighting in front of them, hmm. arguing in front of them. We uh, yelling in front of them. So not necessarily disagreeing, but just like the way you disagreed. Ugly the way you disagreements. Fought. Very ugly. Very ugly. Disagree. Now they're they're both old enough. The your daughters are both old enough. Thinking strong, independent women, young women. Have they given you feedback about that? Like, yeah, this 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 son of a my daughter, this asshole wrote <laughs> her college essay, including the part about how her parents fought a lot and it was terrible. So yeah, loud and clear, she told us. And that's why we did it so that, that she could write that essay and get into a bunch of colleges. That's <laughs> why we fought. So my plan worked. It was strategic. Uh, it was it's yeah, no, I mean, I wanted my daughters to be able to point out my flaws and I want to be able to listen to them. I knew that when they were babies, I told them that when they, you know, I'd be like, someday I want you to point out my flaws. And they're like, ah, but <laughs> I wanted that. And they have not been shy about that. Years ago, I was yelling at my daughter and she said, you can't talk to me like that. Nobody can talk to me like that. Nobody can. And then I heard her say it to my dad, her grandfather. You can't talk to me that way. Nobody can talk to me. And I was like, that's us. That's me. That's me. I told her when I yell at her, it's unacceptable. And then she called me on it. So I that's the main thing that we got wrong. That's the question that you asked. There are plenty of other things I'm sure that I do on a regular basis or don't do. But I'm super proud of my role to to both these girls and most primarily I made a decision early on to put my career aside and so that I wouldn't miss time with them because when you do what I do and you're good at it, the offers can be endless for work. And then you have representatives that make 10% of your work. So they really try to convince you to take these gigs, every gig. And so then you have your wife who's your top agent. Who's like, do it all, do all the work. And you know, so I, at one point was working at comedy central, Sirius XM and CNN every day. Wow. And the girls were really young. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that anymore. And one of them, you know, went away. It wasn't like, I probably would have kept doing it. And I made a choice early on. I was like, I don't want to be this person who's always working. Even though I love my work, I'm living my dreams, literally. I don't want to be that guy. And I was able to create a carve out a work-life balance where I was still living my dream, which was hosting a national live radio show. I loved it. Yeah. And being with the girls 
and my family uh, uh, more than most guys I know. And, and, and I, and I did not miss hardly anything at all. I was watching a video of my daughter when she was like three years old, jumping in the leaves or something with her uh, a few months ago, She's now 15. And I just said out loud, Oh man, I missed those years. You little girl, cute little girl. We did everything together. And then I said, no, wait, I didn't miss those. I shot that video. Like I was there. I didn't miss anything, Corey. Like That's I was awesome. there and I had a lot of dads give me that advice. You know, the whole, at the end of your life, you're never going to say, I wish it worked more. I was, I'm very impressionable. So like you give me one piece of advice. I hear one good quote. I'm like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. I'll do it. I won't do it, whatever it is. And so being there for them is the greatest advice I have that was given to me. So I was, I was with them all the time. So it sounds like your, your relationship with your daughters is more of a die ongoing dialogue. Is there ever, can you imagine a time when you would have to just lay down the law at this stage of their lives and say, no, I am not going to let that happen. Um, that's something that they would let you know, want to do. And I say, no, I'm not going to let that happen. Something along those lines, a life decision, uh, you know, uh, no, I'm very much and always have been hands off. Uh, even when they get into trouble. Yeah. Real trouble. The uh, my older one has gotten into some, some bad stuff. She's done some, some, some stupid things. And after she did, we talked about it a lot. We always have conversations about the consequence, what could happen. But if my daughter really wants to do something, I almost always let her. She met a guy last year at camp. They served as counselors. Uh, he's from Spain. She's now 18. She was 17 then. And he lives in Spain and he invited her to go there. And I said, yeah, yeah, go to Spain. You're 18 years old. You want to do that? I'm a little, I'm a little worried about it, you know, but I'm not sure if that's the best idea, but if, you know, if generally speaking, when my daughters want to do stuff, I do everything I can to set them up. And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Maybe there's an example you would give me, but like, I'm pretty much let them fall on their faces as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and so, I don't punish, we don't punish our kids. We've never ever punished them. We don't, we don't uh, ground them. We don't, but we don't do that. We talk about everything. We sometimes yell. I mean, I've, I've called their behavior stupid. I try not to call them stupid, but like, you know, that was why a stupid would, thing to do. Yeah. What a dumb, stupid thing that you did. Yeah. Why, what were you thinking? Why didn't you think about that? Uh, which are all like stupid questions. Cause they're like, I wasn't thinking yeah. I'm 15. I'm 15. This is when, did you, did you not do stupid stuff? And I did so much to, <laughs> like, a lot, like stuff that put me in danger stuff that got me yeah. in trouble with the the law uh i did stupid things that prevented me from succeeding in my life i did a lot of stupid stuff i you know mostly i got injured showing up for girls <laughs> that's, that's real dumb. but it's totally worth it did, I, you know hopefully it paid off for you here and no, there it did not never not once <laughs> not one time um what, no one of the reasons i ask is because i'm really rethinking my kids are 22 my oldest is home for uh, Passover, so that that's uh, that's fun. And then the boys are nineteen and eighteen. And at this stage of my life, at this stage of their lives, I'm really rethinking a lot of the ways that I, how I was for them, uh, and, and choices that I made. That if I had to do over, there's so many things I would do. First of all, James Dobbs, go fuck himself. I can't. I just I fucking hate James Dobson. 
I hate, I hate the, that whole, like, you know, because basically what they're teaching is parents to be um, righteous narcissists with their children and that anything that they do wrong uh, and wrong kind of loosely defined as anything that I approve of, there are consequences for, and I'm kind of oversimplifying well, but, I, think um, that, I think that without getting into the specifics of Dobson or or any of these other, you know, certainly the religious leaders, the kind of patriarchal authoritarian type believers. That's I yeah, that's what that's what we were doing basically. I'm, I'm throwing myself under the bus. That's that was our style of parenting. Yeah, so. I, I I think that that is probably one of the most common things that especially men do, and I want to speak specifically to men about parenting and about specifically how they treat themselves. And I think that when you're a dad and you have kids, all of your authoritarian dreams come true. You're <laughs> fully in charge. Yeah. You're finally in charge. In some cases, you always wanted to be on the team and then you wanted to be the captain. And But no one ever respected you. No one ever listened to you. No one ever cared what you thought. And they certainly weren't gonna do what you told them to do. That's all changes once you have kids. And it depends on where you are on that spectrum. But I never, my dad was, was pretty well controlling, in charge. My mom was very kind of went along with my dad. But I married a woman like my dad. Uh, but more importantly for like men, I, I don't think it's enough. I don't, I firmly do not believe that we own our kids and that we're in charge of them that way. I mean, and we could, people could argue about that, but I would argue about the outcome of your child in that case. I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. I don't want to be in charge of them. I want them to learn to be in charge of themselves. I want them to learn all kinds of things from me. I'll yeah. role model all types of behavior. And that's the most important thing. But I think this idea, and obviously it comes from religion, but even if it didn't, even if you want to argue that, the idea that men get the opportunity to be in charge and they really abuse that power. We all do. We all do. I have, we all do. I've lost it. I've, you know, but I've never said to my daughter, you're going to do that because I'm your father and I told you so. I would, I would, that is sickening to me. I'm deeply offended when I hear that. Uh, I've heard uh, dads say to their daughter in the parking lot not too long ago, I don't want to do that. Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. I'm your father. <laughs> I said so. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. It's the late. It's, I mean, regard. it's the laziest of answers. If, if, when a child says to you, why do I have to do that? And they're complaining and they're being annoying and disrespectful. It is the greatest opportunity for you to engage them in a thoughtful discussion about why they have to do that. It's also an amazing opportunity for humor because if you don't lock the door, because if you don't handle the door like that, you could chop your fingers off and then you'd have just a fist. You just have stubbies. And then if you <laughs> wanted to hold up your middle finger to me, when you get mad at me, you won't even be able to because it will chopped off because you didn't listen to your dad. Like there's so much opportunity there to, invest in your relationship with your child and most often so often guys we just we we take that moment to be in charge i'm your father i said so because i i'm in charge of you because i own you because i told you so because i'm your dad because that's the way the world works and it's just i just find that all 
I don't find it productive. No matter what you want your kid to grow up to be, I could argue that that's the bad way to get them there. It's interesting that you bring it up that way because I I think what was upsetting about our encounter around election time, I forget if it was before or after, it's right around the last election. What I found upsetting was I didn't, I felt like I wasn't being heard. And I felt like some of the things that you're coming back to me with, and I felt like I, I was being hit with it, was like, dude, you know me. Like, like you know me. Like, and you were hitting me with stuff that didn't, that didn't have to do with me or my positions. I, I don't know. It's, it's, so just to refresh your memory, um, I posted something. I and I, if I had time to look it up, it, I, I, it was something along the lines of, I don't understand how folks can even fathom not voting that, that fathom voting for the uh, another someone from another party. Something along those lines. And ironically, I was thinking of my old pastor who couldn't fathom ever voting somebody with a D before their name. And it just it just didn't make any sense to me that you're not open minded enough to even conceive of the possibility that you would vote for somebody from a, that that's not part of your party affiliation. And you I think what you did was you actually retweeted it with like, this doesn't make sense to me. Do, do you remember what you tweet? Do, do you remember, do you remember I that? I don't. But I'm, again, triggered by the by the comment. OK, so what what are your thoughts about that? I just think it's long past that time we're not we're way past that i mean when i started in, in in politics there were republicans who had you know different ideas or at least carried themselves in such a way that you would listen to their ideas even if you didn't agree with them and now as i said earlier the republican party is a party of white christian authoritarian fascist anti-democratic people i mean almost you know at the state level and my, my state level and i live in new york state they're fascists here in my in my town where i'm very active they are fascists and we are pro-democracy or anti-fascists and so i think the assertion that i i think a better way to say what you're saying is you know or more is can you listen to someone you don't agree with that's a huge issue that we have now but the idea of voting for a Republican at, at, at this point in time, I mean, and I, and I think I do remember that we then again, you gave me an example of somebody and I thought she was, and I still think she's terrible. She's a bad person and her policies are terrible. And you also, because you introduced me, I wasn't paying attention to that race out there in California where you live. You introduced me and Pilar, I did Pilar her Shiavo. Opponent, yeah, and her yeah. opponent who I followed and thought was wonderful and a kind person and a public, sounds like a, a great public servant. And so, you know, wherever you go, there are Republicans that are as almost overwhelmingly, that's what they are. That's why Republicans are, you know, their brand is so damaged because people who identified that way no longer want to identify that way. It's an authoritarian cult of, you know, as I said, all these different labels and I, I, I wish it weren't. But I also feel like, just to be clear, I've always felt this for almost entirely. I've felt this way since I got into politics. I have looked at Republican or conservative policy, economic policy, obviously foreign policy. And I think it is antithetical to so much that I, in my core, I believe 
about income, wealth inequality or equality, you know, opportunity for education, healthcare, and employment. I find the conservative ideology to be elitist and very narrow and benefiting very, very few Americans. Right. So you, you were actually articulating- And I find their foreign policy to be, you know, war crimes. The war, the, 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 the war in Iraq should have destroyed the Republican brand and their, all their foreign policies forever. And the economic crisis of 2008 should have also destroyed conservative ideology forever. And so should the debt. And so like everything that Republicans do in my mind, in my 47 years has been so miserable for the vast majority of Americans and only benefited a very, very few. Right. So I think one of the differences that we, we, we have is that conservative, if someone identifies as a conservative uh, on certain issues, it's not for all issues. So someone like me, I can be I can be a small business fiscal conservative that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm anti-democratic, pro stop the steal, sure. uh, like right. all of these things. So I think yeah. that's that's one thing. Um, the other thing, though, is. Yeah, but um, if you're one of these few things, then you, you're really bad. If you if you want no gun regulations, no abortion. You're not going to confirm the outcome of the election. I don't really care what you think about tax policy or anything else. If you're anti, like you're, you're but but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's take take gun regulation. Um, some somebody uh, somebody who still identifies as a conservative posted the those those who want gun regulation think that those who are you know pro Second Amendment don't want any gun regulation. You know, th there's not an it's not just an either or. You know, and and to allow folks who are just very categorical in that way that it's a pure binary that it's you know because I have friends who are big pro Second Amendment guys. I'm not. I you know. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but by the way, I, the idea that someone is quote pro Second Amendment. I'm just using that as a shorthand, by the I way. No, but it's a problem. The language is is, is problematic because well, that's what, how they identify. They identify as pro two A right, whatever. They're, 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 like I find that's I find that very ignorant. I'm pro Second Amendment. Like, what is that even supposed to mean? Because up until like just a few years ago, the Second Amendment was interpreted by conservative justices on the Supreme Court. Yeah, entirely. they all agreed. It yeah. was just recently that the Second Amendment became everybody can have as many guns and bullets as they want. So when you say you're pro Second Amendment, I'm like, I, I, I probably won't engage you because you probably have no idea about the history of the Second Amendment if you say that probably haven't even read the Heller opinion and even in the Heller opinion or any uh, any case even in the Heller opinion uh, Scalia said that look this this isn't all encompassing so i think the problem i have with the way that you're articulating it is it sounds like somebody who disagrees with you it's like all this one thing all the opposite thing and i find that once you start to dig down like listen i don't know enough about gun policy gun regulation all i know is kids are still getting killed in schools that there are still mass shootings there's a problem the us is 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 there, there has to be some sort of discussion but, like, but I know here's about it. So I'm not I'm not interested in talking like I know everything about it. So but, but, I, 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 don't, I don't care about like. But like, here's I, here's I, the thing. This. I, but here's the thing. If you're not for like the vast majority of Americans are a whole bunch of new laws that would bring down gun violence 
Was it you who had the guy from 97% on your show? Who? Uh, no, no, no. It's not you. It's another show, um, a, a friend of mine. But there's this, uh, I forget the exact name of the organization, but I th- it's something along the lines of 97%. Because 97% of people in our country can agree on certain things. Like, universal background checks we can all agree on but my argument with you isn't about policy and this is part of what what i wanted to um it should be because that's the only thing that matters no i yeah. think no no no. because the way that the way that you're approaching a lot it of people who have opinions that have no idea what the hell they're talking about and they literally are arguing and supporting right. people that are destroying their families so you know when you say i don't i'm not really interested in, in talking about anything but policy okay Michael Cohen was on your show the other day sure. and he had a really keen observation. I love, by the way, I love that conversation because yeah, you're yeah, both we, intelligent. We, we, disagreement about the 60 minutes interview with Marjorie. Uh, and, MTG. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of different ways. And so I invited him on to argue. And I loved, I love the argument. It was a productive argument. You, yeah, I, I don't know if you agreed on things, but he made an interesting observation. And I'm curious if you've thought about this since you talked to him, he said, you're something along the lines of, you're speaking more as an activist than a journalist now. And an activist is, is, Hey, listen, I know a lot about these, these policies. I believe I know what's right and wrong. And these policies are right. And if you don't agree, you're fucking wrong. And I don't care what you have to say. That's like, that's the, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a fair point. I think that we're way past that point. See, I've been in this game for such a long yeah, time. That, that yeah. was certainly the case. People are always like, Pete, what happened to you? People say that to me all the time, always right wing people. And I say, what do you mean? Well, you used to be so reasonable. I'm like, because things were reasonable. They were more reasonable. We talked about all types of different issues and policies. We had policy conversations We had reasonable, thoughtful conversations about just about everything. When Michael says you want journalists to be activists, I say to a certain extent I do in that there is a, there's a lot of, there's a whole belief. And I don't know that Michael, I, I don't want to represent his belief about what journalism should be now, but I do believe that journalism should be, have, have a moral clarity to it. Journalists should not bring on or give two sides to an issue where there's only one side. And I also believe that journalists should be anti-fascist, anti-fascist and pro-democracy. And so I don't think that you should showcase, uh, or if you're going to, I certainly don't think you should do the way that they did it. They humanized fascism. But here's the thing. And white supremacy and and, uh, Christian nationalism. They humanized this woman in a, in a way that she didn't deserve to be. There's enough context. And I thought it was terribly done. Terribly. Let me ask, let me ask you this. You, you had a guy on one of the most, um, one of the most profound conversations I've ever heard on your show. You had a guy on that accused you of being a pedophile or, or something along those lines, right? It's really, no, really. Pro- oh, no. Well, <laughs> please don't put that out there. No, no, no. I'm not putting it out there. He accused you of that. No, but, but uh, there needs to be a lot of context. So clar- clarify for me, because yeah. you're right. I don't. I, I don't want to treat that lightly. I'm, I, I want to make a point about it, but but yeah, sure. fill it in. On Twitter, I re- I responded to a guy named Matt Walsh on Twitter. He's a Christian white supremacist, and he was commenting about a little girl dancing in Times Square. A video of a little girl dancing, and the little girl was twerking in the video. She's like maybe four, maybe five, and he said, if I were president. I would 
make this against the law and arrest everybody who was part of it. And I just responded to his tweet that you're worse than Taliban. Then I said a, a little girl dancing who doesn't know what gender is, much less sex, mm-hmm. is is harmless. It's like a little boy or a little girl like hearing adults say a swear word and then they say it. You know, you might correct them or something, but what happened in this case was clearly this girl was mimicking dancers and all the people there were laughing and it was hilarious and it was cute and it was innocent and it was fine. And as a result of my kind of defending a little girl uh, dancing like that, I was called a pedophile by about a thousand people uh, a minute on Twitter for three days. And it was horrible. I had to block them all, but like, it was very bad for me, for my family, you know, because being called a pedophile is a can do a lot of damage to a person who has a public persona because it creates some kind of doubt. No one ever thought or accused me ever in my life of doing something inappropriate or having anything inappropriate, you know, my hard drive or whatever you could in any way bend the definition of what a pedophile is, which is also why it's so horrific that Marjorie Taylor Greene says that all Democrats and Joe Biden are pedophiles. It's horrific. It is so, horrific. Yes, a guy called me, attacked me on Twitter. And, and in the past, and I continue to do this when people attack me, I try to engage them privately. And then if and every once in a while, they'll they'll talk to me on tape. And I talked to that guy and it was a wonderful experience because he ended up apologizing and profusely apologizing in the most sincere way and also disclosing that he was really suffering uh, mainly because his mom was dying mm. and, and it was a wonderful thing and i think that's probably what you were going to get to yeah that's what i was getting to but in that interview if you went about it with as sh- as sharp elbows you know, from the get go to try to engage, to try to engage that guy, there has to be some sort of winsomeness in order to get to the point where he's willing to come on the record and speak with you. So <laughs> I think that I think that if if Leslie Stahl in this case went about it with his sharp elbows, come out swinging, she'd never get the interview in the first place. So you could you could you can criticize whether they gave her too much of a soft touch um, here and there, whether they humanized her. But the truth is, like, Nobody's nobody's showing up on a lot of the shows on CNN, MSNBC, and or, or even NPR for God's sake. Like it's hard enough getting somebody with an R before their name on, you know, respectable. Right. Why is that? Well, it, okay. So you made me think. I, I don't want to answer glibly. I think that, to your point, has more is more a reflection of today's Republican Party. Is that what you're getting at? I mean. It's not that NPR and CNN aren't inviting them. No, no. And and I mean, just every day, like I, I feel bad for some of those guys. Jake Tapper yesterday said, we invited every single Republican on this committee. No one showed up. So I get it. I get it. And I'm not going to be here sitting. I'm going to I'm not going to try to defend today's Republican Party. There is no GOP. The, today's Republican Party is is much closer to authoritarian fascist um, tendencies. But there are some good people who still identify as Republican including some elected officials, especially at the state and local level. That's my contention. Like Michael Steele still identifies as a Republican. I'm not going to put him in the same boat as MTG just because he he does not want to relinquish the grand old party. Okay. I mean, like, yeah, I don't care. I mean, like, I think the identifying with Republican, what the grand old party was horrible too. I mean, like they are, they have always been white supremacists. Not always, not always. Always. Always no, white supremacists. The, the party of Lincoln? 
Well, before, well, before, obviously, in our lifetime, in our lifetime, I am 146 years old, Pete. After the Southern strategy, after all the racist Democrats left the Democratic Party to become Republicans, yes, in yeah. every state. So yeah, Ronald Reagan was horrible for new black folks. I know Suzette, and I know who, what she, the the person who that Pilar beat. And you, you were you were sending me infor- information that was basically Pilar's campaign uh, no, stuff. No, it was I it was campaign it. stuff. I, I, I sent you those because I didn't want to go down a deep, you know, long dive. Like and even and and, but I checked up on those too. It wasn't wrong. Like yes, it came from her opponent, but it also wasn't wrong. And you were either missed it or you were dishonest representing the one. Well, woman- okay. So admittedly, first of all, you uh, put me on the spot, so I, I had to come up with. An example. Um, so Scott Wilkins. No, 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 no. It was Twitter. You had every right to look up whatever I looked up. These are your candidates. You were telling me in your district about these two candidates. I'm over here in New York. I looked them up. It wasn't hard. Granted, I do this for a living. I fact checked both sides. I didn't believe something because it was my bias. I looked it up. I looked at their past record. But Suzette, Suzette we, voted for for Newsom's listen, protection of, of abortion. Didn't remember their names. All that matters is if a pro women's reproductive rights organization gives you an F on women's reproductive rights, you don't. There's no. There's no other Google search you need to do. If Planned Parenthood says F. Or, or whatever she gave her, it wasn't it wasn't the, her opponent that said it. Look, it I'm not I'm not going to I I didn't want to have to die on that hill when we got in the argument back then. I don't want to have to die on this hill right now. But the fact is, she voted for Newsom's. Um, you do. It doesn't matter what you're about to say, because then you're going you're dying on that hill. I'm telling you, here's how this has to work, Corey. You have to answer this argument. You can't have the argument that you want, which is she voted for Gavin Newsom's. You have to say. If a women's reproductive rights organization looks a candidate and says they are terrible for women's reproductive rights, we don't need to talk about what she voted for. It's there's there's they are a grassroots organization. And they speak for me on women's reproductive rights. I don't need to like split hairs on some vote she did that may or may not have somehow tangentially supported something. She's also on the record saying stuff and supported Donald Trump. And and, and, and women can and often do uphold patriarchy. Black people can and often do uphold white supremacy. It happens all the time throughout the world. The woman that's in charge in Italy now, the prime minister of Italy, loves herself some patriarchy and fascism. I mean, she's not good for women, and neither was this woman that you were supporting. Okay, so I could have been persuaded about that. I was too busy fending off body blows. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I who cares what? I shouldn't have to persuade you. She's the candidate you supported. Why am I over here persuading you? Why is that my job? It's not. It's not your job. It's not your job. You. It was wrong. My issue, my issue was you were too busy beating me up for us to have a, a reasonable conversation uh, maybe, about it. Maybe, maybe, and I'm sorry for that. But the other thing I, too, though, I, the I other thing think, too, I don't, and, think I, I don't think I was. I think, as you can hear now, I'm. I think I'm being reasonable. Like I don't. I think that the way that you're framing this, it, it, it's 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 pretty simple. What we're talking about, talking about these two candidates and their records, and I'm telling you, I looked something up. It wasn't as you said it was. Right. I showed you that. And then you're like, well, you could have. I would still, I would still say you have to do that. You're You're categorizing, knocking doors for the lady. 
you're categorizing both candidates as way too um, categorical, too too um, no, uh, too I'm binary. Not. No, but I'm so, not. I'm only no, I'm not. I'm only talking about one. I'm that's not true. But I also brought, brought up Scott Wilk, whose chief of staff is a Democrat. He's I'm, our state senator. I oh, brought him don't up. Do that. Who cares? Yeah. I'm only talking about one issue. Women's reproductive rights. You told me. And I, I gave you the exception to the rule that she she like w- whether she got an F or not. She in in, in the most the recent vote. No, it's not. It's not went against her own party. It's that's not true. It's not whether she got an F or not. It's she got an F, period. It's not, you can't make another argument after- But, but, her vote, but what you articulated as her voting record was incorrect. She I'm actually, tell you, the most recent vote for Gav, Gav, Gavin Newsom's legislation- I don't care what her voting right record choose. was on one vote. All I care about is what does this woman mean for the future of women's reproductive rights? And all of the organizations who advocate for women's reproductive rights said, that she would be terrible to me. I don't care what she, she thinks. But here's me. the thing. She'd be terrible because she's a Republican. And that was part of my argument. She'd no, be, she'd and be there are, they're ignoring her most recent vote, which is a very she'd consequential be vote. Because she, because and, and her, and her vote, by the way, completely disqualifies their, their, their argument that it's totally categorical. And she's Listen, a complete I mean, Nazi like, and she's like, terrible you, on every issue. And you want to die, you want to die on a hill advocating for, a woman who would be terrible for women. And it's weird to me when men do this. What you're doing right now is bizarre to me. You're not listening to women. You're deciding what's right. I, it, I, I don't do that. Like if all of the black people are being like, dude, you're being racist. I wouldn't be like, no, I'm not. If all of the women were like, dude, you're being sexist. I would be like, no, I'm not. That's what you're doing because you had two candidates. One of them was endorsed by the organizations that advocate for women. So one is of that them- the- is that the only issue? Is that the only issue that should drive our the, our decisions? No, it's the only issue you and I are talking about. It was the only issue you and I talked about. If no, if, no, no, we talked about other issues. We talked about issues having listen, to do I'm with you, small if businesses. You want to talk about taxes. I'm not really going to trust the credibility of your opinion because you didn't get abortion right on this on these candidates. On these candidates, you told me something that that was completely the opposite of of, of reality about this woman on abortion. So. I don't really care about, in your case, what you're going to talk about with her. And frankly, I don't even, I firmly disagree with your ideas about economics. Firmly, I find them questionable. That, dude, dude that really pissed me off. When, 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 when you were talking about my, my, um, my record as a small business person, I, I didn't take a dime out of my business literally oh, for 10 God, years. not this one again. I, what, what are you talking about, not me. this one? I don't care. Don't care. Never took a dime. Paid my people good. I'm sorry. You're like this whole, this is, a, uh, I find this argument, you can make it, but I find it specious. Is what do you word? mean specious? Like, I, I, it's just so questionable. And you make yourself out to be a victim of taxes. And I just find it. Just, no, 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 no. I didn't make myself out to be a victim. Yeah, you I'm couldn't say, pay your employees. You but, never but, take a penny. You never took any money. You ran this business for 10 years. You employed all these people. It was window washing. Well, I don't know. How did all the other window washers make such a fortune and you didn't? I don't know. I, I just like it is the weirdest example for why you believe what you do about tax policy. And I, I mean, I, I find it just so questionable. You can make it, but I, it, it's completely unconvincing to me. Unconvincing because you don't believe the story? Like what, what don't I you don't believe? believe? You tell me that you couldn't pay, you didn't make any money for 10 years. 
I didn't make my, any, any money, money in that business. Tenure. I continued working another full-time job because I thought it was in the best interest of the company and the people that were employed by the company for me to continue working another full-time job. If, you're, if your company doesn't make money for 10 years, then something's wrong with your company. Well, it's not tax policy. That's, I think it's crazy. That's so dismissive, dude. That's so dismissive. But how? Be, because, because you're, you're, I mean. Tell me an example of a company that doesn't make any money for 10 years. Uh, t take a look at every company, basically. <laughs> in the, no, uh, I don't think so. I don't um, think it's true at all. I no, it's it's a choice. Listen, I could I could company. have been pulling money out after probably year three, maybe year five, but because I had this other job, I decide I decided instead of drawing money out of the company, I decided to reinvest in the company, buy another truck, hire more guys. As long as I could do that, uh, it was a decision. It was a decision to put my employees before myself, before my you know my own I best interest. I, I don't I I don't find it. But the, in the end, this is your argument as to why tax policy is wrong. And I think no, 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 no. I no, think it's, it's that that, that specifically the answer to that argument is how did all of the rest of the people who do what you do succeed? I have Why a much I have a much more successful company than ninety nine percent of the window cleaning pressure washing companies in in the country. I have a so much what more are successful you complaining one. about. No, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just pushing back well, on this yes, notion well, we that business owners complaint. we haven't gotten. To, I keep interrupting you so you don't get to your complaint. But your complaint is about tax policy. It's you, literally this story is the narrative as to why Corey believes what he believes about tax policy. I've heard it many times from you. No, 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 no. You're talking generally about tax policy. I'm talking more specifically about one particular piece of legislation. You're trying to generalize and thus mischaracterize what my views are and why I have certain views about specific. I'm being specific and you're generalizing and thus mischaracterizing that's what i'm trying to drive at I, I i am doing those things but you describe yourself as a fiscal conservative you yes. support republican quote pro-business all that stuff i find all of those ideas terrible for average working people all those conservative tax policy ideas have destroyed this country and i don't believe that you can't make money with progressive tax policies and ideas. I think there are so many very wealthy people that advocate for all of these progressive ideas. So I just I just don't buy what here's, you're here's the thing. I don't buy any of the ideology. I've argued it with experts for years and I just find it it does help you. It does help a few people. It doesn't help the workers in the company, generally speaking. It's anti-labor. I completely it's disagree with that. But here's the thing. Everything that Dr. King believed, I find it just disgusting at this point because it's all failed. It's failed over and over in every state and obviously at the national level it's created massive amounts of debt and the idea that government furthermore shouldn't spend like taxpayer money on things that benefit people and instead spend it on defense is just also just grotesque grotesque waste right it's so all wrong and it always has been and reagan and the republican revolution has been not only as i said earlier white supremacist but it has created wealth disparity in this country destroyed the economy over and over and obviously republican presidents always create tremendous debt that democrats have to come in and clean up for and that right. is by raising taxes period i get it i get it you have a very strong opinion about not my, uh, none of its opinion it's all factual all of the outcomes have failed all of okay. the policies have failed listen it, at the end of the day a few 
and destroyed the the the, the many. I mean, argue otherwise. You're you're, you're painting with a, a very very broad brush, and you are talking more like an activist no, got, now I've than got, I've got every I've got all of the data. To back I know, it. I know. But do you want do you want to be right, or do you want to have a conversation? Do you you know? I, I mean, do you do you want to? Well, we're 15 minutes past what I said. I know. I know. Make an argument about fiscal policy and then no 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 no. it's not i'm not even going to make an argument about fiscal policy then what are we doing because i only want to talk about policy i can back up everything that i just said i understand but but and you're gonna tell me that you didn't want that 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 you know about your window washing business and it's like what i don't know the way that you're having the conversation it doesn't even include me you're already vilifying me before i even enter the room to have the conversation so you I'll give you a different illustration. You can, see, you can take it personally and see it as vilification. I think that you're, you're not even allowing me to, to participate in the conversation. You're literally not allowing me to participate in the conversation. Let me give you a different illustration. Our former assembly member, Christy Smith, she ran for U.S. Congress. I supported her. She's a Democrat. She's a Democrat. I am not a Republican. I'm an independent, but I'm a fiscal conservative. There were specific issues that I had a problem with. I told her, Christy, you're our assembly member. You represent us. I have disagreements with you. She said, why don't you come to my small business committee? I said, you don't have to give me lift service. It's okay. She said, no, really. Come to my small business committee. Now, at the small business committee, there we still had vast disagreements. I still disagreed with her three quarters of the time, but there was the conversation. I was in the room and she found ways to incorporate different ideas from someone who philosophically disagreed with her, whose life experience and professional experiences was different from her. And we found ways for her to represent our voice as well. Not to say, well, you have you're a small business, you're you're a uh, conservative, you're all of you, you're completely wrong. I don't want to hear from you. You know, you're not allowed in my room. You know, which is basically what Garcia is doing right now as a Republican. He's not even allowing people like me, an independent who's a pro democracy independent, in his room. And he's he's in a um, epistemological bubble. You know, that's what I have a bigger problem with. We could talk about policy. I could be convinced about policy. But if you're vilifying me from the get go, I'm not, not vilifying you. Me. Here's like, I want to be clear. This, yeah, I, 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 you could rewind the tape. And if I at any point said you are blank, what I have said over and over is your ideas. So don't make it about you. I'm not vilifying you. I think your ideas are what I'm questioning or what I'm criticizing or I'm vilifying your ideas. But I can't even, I can't even, we can't even have a conversation about it because you're painting with such a broad brush. I mean, Corey, this is like the ninth time we've had this conversation. And every time it's the same thing. And that's what I don't understand. Talk to me about policy, your response. I don't want to talk about policy. That's how I feel every time we talk about this. That's why it, it kind of devolved because because I'm we're not talking about a specific policy. If there's a specific policy, like when LA County decided that they're going to lead the way to raise minimum wage from about nine fifty an hour to fifteen dollars an hour in a five year period, that's something very specific, and we could have a conversation about that. You know, that's a conversation I had with Christy Smith, and we ended up becoming sure, you're good against friends. the minimum wage. Go ahead. I mean, you're against raising the minimum wage. You want to, I mean, there, I'm not against, I'm not against fairly there's obviously paying. a sweet spot where it starts to affect a business. But I mean, like the, like you could go listen, ahead. don't cat, don't, don't, don't characterize it as me being against a, a, a minimum you, wage. Okay. Well then what do you want to say about minimum wage and in your specific county, which I'm not familiar with the economics, but go ahead. What do you want to say about specifically about the minimum wage? What's your, what's your issue with it? My objection is that number one, we all, we were paying our, our people way ahead of minimum wage. My objection wasn't with the idea of providing people with a good living. As a small business owner, that's the joy that I got out of the, the accomplishment was providing opportunities for people. What I was saying was our, what we charge our customers is a direct 
uh, reflection, a direct calculation of what we're paying our guys. And to basically double our prices over the course of a five-year period was just not realistic. It's not something. So my question that I wanted the um, uh, LA County Board of Supervisors and our assembly member to grapple with was to help me out. Help me out as a small business owner. I want to do this. I want to pay my guys well. But where is the wiggle room so that the I don't agree. I don't disagree with you in principle. I disagree with you in math. Help me figure out how to make the math work. This is how it works. I'm not going to be able to double my prices in five years, which is what I'd have to do. In uh, order this to is not a successful business then. What the I mean, fuck other are you people talking did about? It. Other people did it. Other people were able to employ people. I mean, that's just capitalism. That's the world you want to live in. I mean, and also, furthermore, people can't. That's a, that's a, it's a, that's a, ter people, that's a terrible. That's a terrible. People reply. can't survive on that wage. They that's can't. A that's a, what you so just when said. You, when you what, characterize it as, oh, I'm creating an opportunity. I'm sorry, but if you're paying someone a minimum wage, listen, listen. Uh, let, let me rewind just a second. The opportunity let, you're creating them is. I get it. I know. I understand. I, I understand. Let me rewind. What you just said is a real. It's it's just insufficient. It's it's completely insufficient to say to it's it's canned. And um, a memorized sort of talking point to tell a business person who's saying this is a very real issue. Help me understand how we can make this work. And you say, oh, well, you're just a bad business person. You suck at this. So go fuck yourself. Well, that obviously I didn't say any of that. No, no, no. You didn't say go fuck yourself. But that's basically what you were saying to me. No, I, 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 I listen, no, Corey, you have to realize, I think, that if you're having a discussion like this and you keep reacting that I've attacked you personally. I'm not doing that. When, but you cannot deal with it. If I can't, if I ever said to you, your business is terrible, you you get so upset with me, but maybe your business wasn't good. Maybe that's true. I don't know the specifics of your business, but all I am hearing is it didn't make any money for 10 years. They're making me have to pay people more money. And I love to give I never said it didn't make money for I 10 years. I it. didn't say it didn't make money for 10 years. I said it could have made money, but I chose as a CEO and an owner to reinvest in the business and work another full-time job okay, so my guys could continue great, working. Then it sounds great. Then what's the problem? That, that Because you're saying that you didn't make any money and you're and also your employees were making minimum wage. No, no, no. They weren't making, they were making, they're making a lot more than minimum wage. They so always what's have the issue been. with them raising it? What because, were you because, because oh, minimum no. wage here, is, here it is. Let's get specific. You're upset that someone wanted to raise the wage to $15. What were you paying them? Uh, at that time, I mean, we were probably averaging about 15, between 15 and, and 20 an hour years, at that time. I think to be fair to your argument, you said over five years, it would horizon at 15. Is that what you said? Yeah. 950 to, to 15. And you, you, you were so against that. No, no, no. I wasn't against it, but there's a, the way that the way the economics works is there's a baseline and the baseline drives everything else. It also has these other triggers where it wasn't just it wasn't just the the wages. It was the workers comp. It was my tax. It was other insurance uh, that that we had to get that that are all triggered by the floor. Uh, the floor drives everything else. So I had to pay my senior guys more because, you know, uh, yeah, here, here's here's where I come at it. I don't care about the business owner. I just don't. I only care about your employees. But if, if you don't you, care about the business owner, the business is going to go away and all the no, jobs are going to go away. The business, the business owner is going to be fine if it, I'm care. I care about the people who are making 
this, the company successful, the idea that the business owner gives himself so much credit for their idea and their capital risk and their other, I, I find it ridiculous when you have a whole bunch of people that are doing the actual physical labor and you're sitting in an air conditioned office. And in this case, people are working outside really, really hard. It's a total I, I, I caricature. No, well, listen, businesses succeed and fail all the time. I'm rarely am I going to come down and see the the business owners uh, uh, so upset that he can't give his employees a wage and health care and whatever other insurance. Like, I don't know. Well, you should then don't run a business. I would never want to own a business and pay people minimum wage and not be able to provide them with the other benefits. So maybe that's why I don't do it. Maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I don't want to make money off of other people's labor like that. I, I feel uncomfortable with a lot of those ideas. Or if I did, I definitely would be for a pro single payer insurance because I don't want to have to pay their insurance. Let's do it like every other country does it. It's ridiculous that business owners are complaining about having to pay insurance. And at the same time, arguing almost always, I'm sure you're not for single payer government run Medicare for all. And yet, you don't want to pay insurance. It's wild to me. The morality of it all, I can't make sense of. I can't. That's why I don't do it. It's literally why I don't do it. I, when I worked at SiriusXM, I mean, like I did everything short of giving my salary to my employees. Yeah. So that's basically what I did. Uh, so it, it wasn't that the business was failing. It was that I chose to give, you know, instead of taking a distribution, to continue to pay my guys, to continue to reinvest in the business. For what um, reason? Because you thought after 10 years of not making the money, you would eventually make a ton of money? No, I, I thought it was good for the business. And, and the pride and joy that I got was out of creating opportunities, out, Wait, out of being a, a part of our community. Explain to me, explain to me, and I, I, this you can take personally. Where's the pride and joy in creating an opportunity for window washing? Well, so I hired a, um, somebody like, to be a, a, like, is that a job that guys do for like, I don't know, five years, 10 years, 30 years? Some, some guys do not, I mean, not 30 years, but listen, I, my, my, um, a, a guy came to work for the company as a salesperson by the end of his first year, he started taking on management duties. Long story short, he's been with us for almost 10 years. He's, he's, a, he's a partner now. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's earned every bit of it. And, and, and then some, somebody came to start to answer the phones for us. We got too busy for either of us to, to continue doing it. Susan came to, to answer phones. She started taking over some HR and payroll and all these other things, office manager. Now she's a partner in the company. So I take a lot of pride in that. I only take a lot That's of pride. Those are, those are two examples that sound great, but like, it, it, I mean, like, are there, are there like endless there, examples of that every year that you're I mean, like, cause I I'm, a, I'm a small company. So it's you, not like, it's not like I have a hundred, you know, 200, a thousand people working for me, but you know, certain guys have stayed with us for five, six, seven, eight years. I'm really proud of helping, you know, certain people grow as people, as professionals. Some people love working with their hands. Some people love, sure. you know, putting in a good day's work and, you know, and, and to see them go from, you know, 18 year old bucket, you know, a little uh, carrying a bucket to uh, a foreman managing a whole crew working on, you know, working on I big get, estates and I stuff like that. That's really that. cool. I get all of that. What I don't get is the fiscal argument about the structure of the business and your complaint being about the minimum wage or the other things that businesses, I believe, should have to be able to provide their employees. And if they can't provide them to their employees, then they should get out of business. I don't yeah. think I don't think it's government that is making it too hard for you to do the things that you want. I do think it's government that might make it harder for you to make as much money as you want. But that's what we need. We need 
government to make sure that your employees aren't exploited and to make sure that you're paying them. I would, I mean, I would love to live in a world where there was, you could never make 10 times what your employees were making, much less a hundred or 300 times, which is so common in America. I think that is grotesquely immoral. And I, I think I that's think a fair that if argument. A Christian, I think if you're a Christian and you do oh, that, geez, here we go. Christ, Christ is way on the record against all of that. I know. I get it. Listen, I think part of the problem is I'm speaking in specifics and you're speaking in generalities. No, no, I'm speaking. I'm speaking in specifics. I'm literally asking you for specifics and I'm giving you specifics and I'm, t I'm, I'm setting you up. to. I tell gave me you specifics, too, but you don't want to engage it. Setting you up to tell me about the Republican fiscal policies that benefit the majority of Americans. You can't I'm not going to defend there, Republican. Name, uh, OK, so so listen, here's the thing. And I should have started with this and we, we'll do another hour. And it's just this. And you could study up name the Republican fiscal policy that benefited the majority of Americans of any group. That's not that's not an argument that I, I could it, do it all day long off the top of my head. For uh, but I don't I don't even care. I don't even care to make that defense because it's not it's not uh, it's not a position I would take a fiscal. When I've spoken to you Republic. about this, I've been speaking. I've been trying to speak to you about a specific issue and how it ultimately led to me and uh, this Democrat assembly member who ran for U.S. Congress becoming that. friends and finding common ground. That. Let's be clear with what you believe. Right. You, you can say this. And I got to go. You are a you identify as a fiscal conservative, right? I even hesitate to say it that way. You, I, it's, you, I, you, it's shorthand. I, so then, then, like at this point, how can you? Not, how do you not have the courage of your convictions? You have sent me articles and columns by fiscal conservatives that you agree with, that you support. Yeah, over and over, you sent them to me. You identify over and over. I thought as a fiscal conservative. Yeah, but it means something different to you than it means to me. Well, explain to me the fiscal conservative policy that benefited the majority of people in California or L.A. or anywhere you want. Maybe, maybe that's for the next conversation. I have to decide if it's a so. OK, so here's what I'm going to do. That's, just to be clear, that's my threshold. Like it, it, it has to help a lot of people, not just a few people. And it can't hurt people. It can't uh, limit opportunity for health care, employment and education. It can't limit that. It has right. to enhance that, it has to create opportunity, especially for people who've never had it. So I wanted to reconsider even identifying or referring to myself as a fiscal conservative, uh, because I, for me, it's on an issue by issue basis. And really the most important issue to me is whether, whether two people who at first have disagreements about a particular piece of, of legislation can get into a room and have an intelligent conversation about it. Or if I come in disagreeing, if I'm going to be categorized a certain way, labeled a certain way, characterized like a certain a way, and, and vilified for for um, for. All right. Well, I mean, you keep using that word vilified. I don't know who's vilifying you, but you could you could. There's two different. You and I are doing a podcast, an interview, a conversation. That's one type. It's I'm in a different role if I'm a policymaker, and I feel like in this conversation you're kind of comparing me to a policymaker, and I feel like you're not hearing me, Pete. And it's like. Okay, well, listen, if I'm a policymaker, you're my constituent and I want your vote. I have a little bit different interest in hearing what I would perceive as some argument, some conservative economic argument that I've heard millions of times before and think is it would be a terrible failure for the vast majority of my constituents. But I'm going to have you can come in and make it. I respect you. Come in. You're a constituent. In this case, I'm begging you to 
to tell me the fiscal conservative. Well, I gave you the example. I gave you the example of a Democratic assembly member finding something. I, I had a very specific problem, no, a math part, problem. But I think that part of that is I, I'm. But I don't here's know, the thing. If if you're if you're saying exactly that happened there, but part of it is compromise. When you're governing, you have to listen to people's ideas and you have to say, listen, I don't agree with that. But if I if I put that in the bill, will you vote for me? Because I think it's worth it. I, I'm totally for compromise. I'm totally for getting things done because you're going to support this. I'll put that into you. But I will also say, and I bet you that that whoever that policymaker was would agree with me that they don't think that your idea is going to benefit the vast majority of their constituents. They probably did think that your idea would benefit the business owner. And it probably does. It probably does. And that's why you want it, because you're the business owner. But I don't care as much about the business owner as I do the vast majority of people who aren't business owners. And I don't think that that means you can't succeed. I'm a business owner, so I'm not you know, against business owners. I just find the arguments that benefit them more than their workers questionable. Always. Yeah. So there's a lot more to talk about. I know we went way, way. Talk to me about time. fiscal policy next time. Uh, anything you want. You know, but you have to, you know, we have to start, we have to ha come to it with what we believe is moral and right. And I think that's what's wrong with economic arguments in America. Like, let's start with, do you think, you know, morally, like, should there be billion billionaires? What do you think about minimum wage? Any number of those kinds of moral arguments, because then you know where the person's starting at. Like, I think that it is reprehensible that we would put people to death, the state would put people to death, or that we're allowed to have billionaires accrue so much wealth, or that rich people can just hand their wealth to their kids. Like those things are, but if you may disagree, and then that's important because at least we know, like otherwise we're not arguing for the same group of people. And I think that's really something that gets missed in, in, in many of these discussions. I care about the majority of folks that work really hard. And I think that this country, generally speaking, screws them over and certainly all fiscal policies uh, that conservatives, almost all of them, certainly. Education, healthcare, and employment have, have destroyed Americans. Yeah, I, I don't know how to frame the conversation in a, in a more productive way. I just have to think about that. I also wanna think about what you're saying. I wanna think about um, maybe errors in, in, in my own thinking that actually don't line up with my, my morality. Well, you have to you have to define what those are, and and I, I think that there can be contradictions. We are walking contradictions. There's no doubt about it, you know. But at the same time, I'll, I'll be honest about those contradictions. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that that's not a hypocritical thing that I that I'm doing. You know, I try to be the change I want to see. I mean, listen, I could be so much bigger in many ways, or I certainly I could have been had I chosen to at certain points in my career. But that wealth. Financial wealth was not something that uh, I have ever been attracted to. I want financial security is 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 really important to me. But like pursuing wealth, uh, financial wealth, I, I I don't even buy. It's ridiculous. As we started the beginning, the better half of our conversation. To me, wealth is time spent with people I love, specifically my kids, my family. So on that note, we'll talk soon. Whenever you want, we'll do it again. All right. I really appreciate it. Hey, hey, Pete. I know I was mad at you, but I I still respect you. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time. This is really meaningful that you would even take the time. Life is complex. Yeah, it is, isn't it? All right, buddy. All right, thanks. Okay, later. And as always, if you dig what we're doing here, please hit that subscribe button, leave a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about TPNR. 
We're easier to recommend than ever. It's politicsandreligion.us. It's www.politicsandreligion.us. Or you can find me online at Corey S. Nathan. That's Corey with an E and S is in Sam at Corey S. Nathan. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect. Not quite like me and Pete did. I actually, it was, I thought it was respectful. Not gentle all the time. But anyway, do all of that stuff. Talk about it. Have the hard conversations and have a great week. Thank you.